You're listening to Fire Ecology Chats, a podcast series by the Association for Fire Ecology. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bob Keane. I'm the editor of Fire Ecology, a journal about everything that has to do with fire ecology. And fire ecology is managed by AFI, the Association for Fire Ecology. And today I'd love to welcome a new guest to what we have here. Laura Young is going to talk about her paper, New Types of Investments Needed to Address Barriers to Scaling Up Fire Risk Mitigation. Laura, would you introduce yourself? Hi, everyone, and thanks, Bob, for having me today. I'm a natural resource social scientist in the Frankie College of Forestry and Conservation at the University of Montana. Well, this is an incredibly interesting paper I found, and it has been something that in the back of my mind for my entire career. Could you just give us a thumbnail sketch of what the paper's about, Lori? Sure. So I think probably most of our listeners know that we have a worsening fire problem, right? Longer fire seasons, larger fires, more problems with smoke, more homes at risk in the wildland urban interface. At the same time, we've got all these you know, federal initiatives, the cohesive strategy, the shared stewardship strategy, the wildfire crisis strategy that are trying to improve the ways or expand the ways that we address wildfire risk. And so we started this research by asking ourselves, okay, you know, we've got all these federal initiatives trying to scale up our wildfire work, specifically mitigation. We've also got a whole host of mitigation tools, right? We've got prescribed fire, we've got managed wildfire, we've got mechanical thinning. But when we look at the numbers, we haven't really been able to scale up our mitigation work in the U.S. in a meaningful way. And so we wanted to ask ourselves, well, why? Why does the fire problem seem to be getting worse? Why don't our actions seem to scale to the problem? And so... Really, we were thinking about this too in the context of limited resources, right? And so we have we have to prioritize limited resources to address wildfire risk, which means we have to prioritize our investments. And then thinking about like, okay, where are we putting our resources? Where are we putting our effort and what makes most sense? And so to do that, we did a social science research project where we interviewed people who work on fire from state and federal agencies, from tribes, local government, NGOs in Washington and Utah. And we asked them, because they're the experts, they work on wildfire every day. We asked them, what are the barriers? Describe the wildfire problem to us. And then what are the barriers to scaling up? What's the nature of this problem? And how do we address barriers so that we can scale up for the pace and spatial extent of our mitigation work? Yeah, I love how you talked about these barriers and you grouped them into three different groups and you've called it framing, you know, what are the barriers and why we're not hitting these targets. So in the first group for framing was the usual suspects. Can you describe that group? Yeah, sure thing. Maybe first I'll say a little bit about what framing is, right? There's a big body of social science research on framing. Framing is basically the way we understand or define a problem. And when we talk about a problem like wildfire, we emphasize certain things. We privilege certain aspects of the problem and we devalue others. And so when we 
look at the way people frame, we get a sense of their priorities. We have a whole bunch of research in the social sciences that indicates that the way we understand a problem leads us to particular types of solutions. So we looked at the frames that these 62 people, these fire experts you know, from all different scales, we looked at the way that they framed the problem. And one of the ways that they framed the problem was what we call the usual suspects, which Bob just mentioned, right? And this is focused on what might be a sort of commonly held conventional view that the barriers are things like there's not enough money to treat more acres, you know, to do more prescribed fire, to do more mechanical things, or there's lack of public support. We just don't have the public support to get these actions on the ground. Or the process takes too long. It takes too long to get through NEPA, or it takes too long to get things on the ground because of lawsuits, for instance. And so you can kind of imagine how that sort of problem framing leads to a certain set of solutions, right? We need more money. We need to educate the public. We need to deal with procedural delays, like we need to streamline NEPA, or we need to reduce litigation. Yeah. These are the reasons I've always heard about, you know, why we're not hitting these targets, why we're not treating enough acres yet. But I love the fact that you went above and beyond and also identified two other groups. The next group of these agency-agency partnerships. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So our interviewees also talked about a very different way of understanding this problem and what we call agency-agency partnerships. And this way of thinking about the wildfire problem really emphasizes the need for agencies to work together to scale up mitigation work across jurisdictional and organizational boundaries, right? And so here the assumption is, of course, that in Western landscapes where we have mixed ownership, a patchwork of state, federal, private, tribal, these folks need to work together in order to do mitigation at more of a landscape scale. But if we have organizational barriers, like we don't have enough capacity to invest in those partnerships, or if people are moving around a lot, you know, if agencies are promoting people and they're moving around to different locations, they can't sustain those partnerships over time, those relationships. Or, you know, maybe people's time isn't dedicated to partnerships and collaboration. And so, again, you can see how this points us to or privileges a certain set of solutions that are different from the usual suspects. So here, solutions are things like new types of positions that emphasize partnerships or redefining particular roles to have a piece of someone's position that emphasizes building those partnerships, valuing and incentivizing partnerships in performance evaluation, training agency staff in how to work across organizations to negotiate across different missions and mandates. Yeah. And the third framing is engaging the public. Yep. And so here, again, a third and somewhat different way of thinking about the problem. And so here, the problem is considered a lack of meaningful public engagement, meaningful deliberation with communities, with the broader public about the fire problem. And so the assumption here is that that we need to build a shared understanding and essentially co-create solutions, mitigation projects with the public in order for there to be public support. And so the, the solutions really are, you know, things like more robust pre-NEPA public engagement, 
investing in agency collaborative capacity. And so there's a little bit of overlap here with the agency-agency partnerships in the sense that if we build agency capacity positions, performance evaluations for investing in that public engagement, then we might see some different outcomes in terms of our capacity to have that meaningful deliberation, to build those shared understandings with the public. And so I want to emphasize that this is really different from the educating the public that's emphasized in the usual suspects. They sound similar, but the usual suspects assumes the public doesn't understand what we're doing. They don't understand the fire problem. They don't understand the solutions we're proposing. And we need to educate them to bring them on board to agree with our proposals and to support us. And we hear that a lot. But the engaging the public is very different. It's about building the solution together. So instead of seeing the public as a problem that has to be fixed, okay, we need to educate them so they'll agree with us. We see the public as part of the solution. We need to work together to build a solution from the beginning that everybody supports so that it meets a different, a whole bunch of different needs. And then we have the public support to go forward. Yeah, that is wonderful. Given this, you know, excellent display of what the barriers are to actually getting fire on the ground, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you, now that you've looked at this problem with uh, through a microscope, do you think we'll ever be able to treat enough acres to be ecologically relevant? I think that's a great question. And I mean, it is, you know, the million dollar question or the billion dollar question. As a social scientist, I don't think I can fully answer it. But my sense from what I understand from my colleagues who are fire ecologists and climate scientists is that it will be very hard to get ahead of the fire problem, especially in the context of climate change. And so we need a multifaceted approach, right? We need climate mitigation alongside on the ground fire mitigation. And we also need to understand that we're not going to eliminate fire risk, right? You notice that throughout this podcast, I said address fire risk, mitigation work. I never said really reduce or eliminate risk. We're not going to eliminate risk, which means that Part of what we need to do is work together to figure out how to live with things like smoke. What does that mean? How do we do that? How do we live with risk in the wildland urban interface while protecting people's health, um, protecting ecological values, protecting important infrastructure and homes? And so I think that's a piece of it. But I do think that one of the things that our research helps us understand is that if we want to scale up and at least start investing more in areas that are important, let's say wildland urban interface areas, we might have to slow down a little bit and invest in the more time consuming partnership and collaboration efforts in order to go faster. Mm. And so one of the things we say in our article is, okay, maybe we need to go slow to go fast, Mm. slow down a little bit, invest in those relationships, build those collaborations, engage, and that that will help us go faster in the long run. Yeah, and we got to remember that whatever acres that we don't treat under which we can control the effects, wildfire is going to burn those acres and we won't have any control over those effects. Well, thank you very much, Lori. Are there any granting agencies you'd like to thank? Yeah, I would love to thank the Forest Service, the Rocky Mountain Research Station, the Fire and Aviation Management. They're all funders of this project. This research is part of the Comfort Project 
which is the co-management of fire risk transmission. It's an interdisciplinary social science partnership where we work closely with managers and communities to try to understand the social aspects of fire. Wonderful. Thanks very much, Lori, for your time. We really appreciate it. Everyone, I look forward uh, for you hearing these podcasts and please join us again when we talk about another exciting paper published in the journal Fire Ecology. This is Bob Keane signing off.